Ezekiel chapter 2 this evening, verse number 1, the Bible says, And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me, and set me upon my feet, that I heard him that spake unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are an impudent children, and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whenever they will hear, or whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, Be not thou rebellious. Did you know that as the Lord looks down on a world that is in complete defiance to Him, He is looking for His children to answer in obedience? For it is only when His children answer in obedience that the world can be confronted with their rebellion against Him. He says, they are a rebellious house. The the children of Israel, the house of Israel, they are the ones rebelling. And he says, but Ezekiel, make sure that you do not follow suit. I'm coming to you with my words. I'm coming to you with my will. Make sure that you do not do what they do and listen to the words I have to say and make sure you obey them, Ezekiel. Do you know really the primary difference between the children of God and the, the children of the world should be our willingness to respond to God in obedience. That should be the thing that determines whether or not we're a child of God. Now, our salvation is signed, sealed, and delivered, but from an outsider's perspective, the way they should be able to tell that we are children of light and not children of darkness is by whether or not we obey the Father. He says, But thou, son of man, in verse 8, hear what I say unto thee, Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. This is the word of the Lord that comes to Ezekiel. It's a message of judgment and condemnation that he is to deliver to the children of Israel, this rebellious house. Verse number 1 of chapter 3 says, Moreover he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them, 
Notice verse number five, and this is kind of the primary thought this evening. Verse number six as well. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the time around your word that we have this evening. Help us to understand what you're trying to do in Ezekiel's life here. And Lord, may we understand how that directly correlates to what you might be doing in our life this evening at Find Your Field Night. Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight. I ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now this vision appears to Ezekiel. If you're interested to know what the vision is, it's found all throughout chapter 1. Chapter 1 is a very thorough vision of what Ezekiel says. In fact, if you'll study it a little bit, you'll find it's the most specific revelation of God to any Old Testament prophet in all of Scripture. He sees the Lord quite much like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And in chapter 2, the, not, not only is now Ezekiel seeing the Lord, now in chapter 2 he's hearing what the Lord has to say. And uh, this uh, time period would have been during the Babylonian captivity where the children of Israel, both nations, uh, both tribes of Judah and Israel, they're, they're both uh, split. They're, they're uh, in the captivity of Babylon. And verse number one of chapter, or verse number two of chapter one, the Bible says, in the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar. So what we find is Ezekiel one day sitting on the bank of the river, and maybe he's just thinking about how bad life is and how bad the situation is. Maybe he's thinking about how God's chosen people should not be in captivity and how everybody should be concerned about the state of their moral direction. And maybe he's concerned about the, the religious state of the nation. And, and all Ezekiel's down by the river and he's just maybe picking up rocks. You know, Have you ever noticed that God uniquely placed perfectly flat rocks next to creeks and rivers? Have you ever noticed that? You know why he does that? So you can skip them a long way. And God does that. He, he could have put jagged ones there, but he put smooth ones there. And, and maybe you find Ezekiel down by the river picking up rocks and he's just throwing them thinking about, man, I, I just don't think this is how our nation should be. There's so much wrong right now. I wonder what I could do to make it right. And the Bible says it's at this moment the word of the Lord comes to him. Specifically, a vision comes to him. And in chapter 2, the word of the Lord appears to him. And the message is this. Ezekiel, I have a mission for you. He's going to be a missionary. Because did you know that even modern day dictionaries define a missionary as someone who's been sent on a mission? Ezekiel's a missionary. 
And, and God says, hey, Ezekiel, here's the good news, though. I don't want you to go across the seas to go where I need you to go. You don't have to be a Jonah. You don't have to go to some foreign land. Ezekiel, I have not called you to a foreign people of a strange tongue. I've called you right where you are. You see, I I, uh, am just so amazed at the faith that missionaries display to root up their families and everything they've ever known to go to a foreign mission field. I'll never forget when Brian Cohn announced his calling to go to Thailand. I thought, son, you barely got out of Crowley before. I mean, the furthest he's ever been was to Fort Worth because there's some really good restaurants up there. And, uh, and when, when he, found, he told us he was going to Thailand, I just was amazed. I, I, I got to thinking the other day, I was just sitting down thinking about Brother James and Miss Becca. And, you know, I knew James when he was just a, a young man. And, and we were both in the youth department together. And, and I knew James when he was just a snotty-nosed bus kid that nobody thought was going to amount to anything. And, and James just stuck to it with help of folks like Brother Adam and Miss Mary Bernie and Brother Luke over there. I mean, he had some really godly and great influences that kept him plugged in here. And before you know it, Brother James goes off to Bible college and announces his call to go to Japan. And I thought to myself the other day, you know, I've always thought of James as just kind of like, you know, the younger kid. I thought to myself, man, James is a spiritual giant. James took his whole family to a foreign field. And by the way, I don't know, I don't know a lot about Asian languages, but I know this, Brother Randy and Gwen Ashcraft have explained to me, Brother Brian has explained to me, there are few languages in the world more difficult to learn than Asian languages, specifically when coming from English. I think one day they told me there's over 60 characters in their alphabet. We only have 26 and I struggle with them. You see, I can't imagine learning another language. You know why I can't imagine learning another language? Because the times I've tried to utilize other languages have failed miserably. Uh, It was last year, the Spanish church asked me to come down and preach a sermon for them. And I preached my first rated R sermon. That missionary, or that, that fellow there, that translator, he was, we, sometimes you play back and forth with, with the translator, you kind of, or the interpreter, you kind of pick with him, you know, and he said a word that I thought sounded kind of funny, and so I repeated it, and I repeated it with my English accent, of course, and, and the whole church kind of got real silent, and yeah, I didn't think much about it, and I come into the church the very next morning, on Monday morning, I have to walk by Brother Franco's office, I said, hey, Brother Franco, good morning, how are you? He said, Brother Andrew. He said, come in my office, please. I was like, Brother Franco, I'm supposed to be doing this to you. And I go in his office. He says, you said a bad word yesterday. <laughs> I preached my first rated R sermon when I was trying to learn or when I was trying to utilize a foreign language. I, the other day, I was asking someone in my Sunday school class. I said, hey, how do you say hi in sign language? You know what they said? I mean, I didn't know. And maybe you're better, maybe you're a little bit more bilingual than me, but anytime I've ever tried to utilize a foreign language, I've failed. And I can't imagine, I was talking to Brother Brian the other day, 
Uh, and he's been in Thailand now three years, I believe, thereabouts. And he's been intensely studying this language, private tutors and lessons and all sorts of things. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, Brother Brian, where are you at in your, your language learning? How far along are you? If a hundred represents what you want to be at and zero represents where you were when you left. After three years of studying the language, he says, Brother Andrew, I'm maybe at 50%. I couldn't imagine going to a foreign field. I have trouble speaking the language that God gave me right off. And I got good news for you. God didn't call me to one of them foreign fields. And chances are, if you're in this building tonight, God has not called you to a foreign field, or the second option to that is, you're outside of God's will. God does not call Ezekiel to learn a foreign language. God does not call him to pack up the family and pack up the bags to go across the sea. God calls him where he is. If you ask me, it's kind of the easy way of being a missionary. Man, I love being a missionary. We're going to study this tonight and we'll find out the easy way to be a missionary from the life of Ezekiel here in chapter 2 and 3 of Ezekiel. Number one, if we're going to be a missionary, the easiest way is, number one, the type of person that is called to be a missionary. We'll find out, we'll study the type of person who is called to be a missionary. Maybe you don't know this, but Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Daniel are all contemporaries. They all lived at the same time, and in many cases, they all faced similar things. They were all part of the Babylonian captivity. In fact, if you remember... Do you remember how uh, uh, it was Babylon that came in and Daniel was there? And I think the very first verse of uh, Daniel says uh, Babylon besieged uh, 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 their, Daniel's land. And, and they take away all Daniel and those that were good in science and, and, and mathematics. They took all the very best. Well, that was the first, uh, the first exile. Did you know that there are two other exiles that occurred? During that time, it was the first wave was those that were gifted. The second wave, and that was the wave that Ezekiel was a part of. And then later on, a third wave of those that were exiled and the eventual destruction there. And so these men are all part of the Babylonian captivity. And what I've found is when we read about Old Testament prophets, our lack of knowledge makes us believe that they're all kind of of the same stripe. They're all the same. I mean, they're all just hard against sin and they all are confident with, the, with what they know and confident to follow God's call. But I've been to preachers' meetings and I'll tell you right now, there ain't two preachers alike. God calls all sorts of men to be pastors. He calls men that stand up and yell. He calls men that uh, you kind of have to speak up sometimes because they, they are very difficult to hear. He calls men that smack pulpits and he calls men that barely, barely even uh, get your attention or have a hard time keeping your attention. God calls all types of these folks and I believe with all my heart, God calls all types of missionaries. I believe Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 teaches us tr- two really tremendous doctrines. Number one... The Bible says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. The first doctrine that we are to take from that is, God knows of children even before conception. 
God knows that the, the argument ought not be whether or not that child is alive at conception. God settles that right there. He says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. And in a world that is so wicked and, and just grossly sinful that we have to debate whether or not a child in or outside of the womb is a living creature is ridiculous. God settles that for us this evening. He says, before I formed thee in the womb, I knew you. The first doctrine is God knows of life at uh, conception. But beyond that, the second doctrine we find is this. He talks of Jeremiah as just a babe in the womb and he says... I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. What we do is we kind of think that God has a plan for the big players in spiritual things. And we neglect to understand that he has a plan for you and for me. He has a plan for all of us. In fact, the Bible says that a preacher was mentioning this morning, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you, think, if you don't think that God takes the time to make you individually, uh, you got to understand he, he crafts every piece of you imperfectly so that you can perfectly carry out the unique uh, purpose he has for your life. You see, I'm not going to have the same ministry preacher had because I'm not preacher. Now we share a lot of things in common, receding hairlines and the need for glasses. <laughs> we have a lot of things in common, but, but God equipped preacher to, 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 to serve and to minister to his generation and, his, and the people that he could influence. And God has equipped me quite similarly but differently for the ministry that I will carry out. And did you know that he's equipped even our bus captains and our bus drivers? Did you know he's even equipped our disciples and disciplees? Did you know he's equipped these men that are in the live stream uh, uh, media room tonight? He equipped them with eyeballs and a hand and a mouth so they can talk and be distracted during the service. <laughs> Preacher like that one. We have some, some similar sense of humor too. Uh, but... But God equips us all and God has a purpose for us all. But if you're going to be a person who is going to be called to be a missionary, here's what you got to have. Number one, you have to be a person who is spirit filled. You see, it's not that God does not call everyone. It is that only those who are spirit filled can discern his call on their life. You see what I'm saying is unless we are right with the Lord, we're going to have a hard time understanding what His will, His perfect will is for us. In other words, you have to teach a child the basics of mathematics before you can get to advanced algebra. A lot of Christians get caught up on 2 plus 2 and they never get to find out what is the common denominator. What is, what is, I don't even know math, so I didn't get that far, but what is the root number? Is that? No, that's an English thing. The root word, integer, sum. Yeah, yeah, I'm way over my head. But you see, God equips us all. And we have to be right with Him in order so that we can find out what His will for our life is. A person cannot hear God's word or do God's will without the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are partners to accomplish the will of God and the life of every believer. See, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God work together 
as a perfect agent to communicate God's will for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're teammates. From our from the very first giving of Scripture, the Holy Ghost has been a part of it. Did you know that? The Bible says that David, the Holy Spirit, was in his tongue as the Lord guided him to author Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So even in God giving us His Word, He used His Holy Spirit. In, in understanding and discerning the, the Word of God, did you know that Jesus says the, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will guide you into all truth? Uh, John 17, 17 says, Thy Word is truth. So the Holy Spirit helps us understand this book. You know why a lot of Christians have trouble understanding this book? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Number one, there's a lot of Christians that aren't saved trying to discern what this book says. And they say, it doesn't make any sense to them. Most of the time when somebody says, I just don't understand the King James language, that ain't the problem. Most of the time they're not sensitive to what the Holy Spirit might be teaching them. So in divine revelation, God used His Holy Spirit. In everyday illumination, God uses His Holy Spirit. And I will even go so far as to say that uh, for this purpose, in this moment, God used His Holy Spirit to effectively communicate to Ezekiel what He wanted him to do. Notice in verse number 2, the Bible says this, And the Spirit entered into me. Now, I don't think we necessarily have to go too deep into this, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people for temporary uh, purposes. In other words, you can find it throughout, but Samson, when God wanted to endue him with power, God put his spirit upon him. And we see there as he's in that Philistine gallery and they're mocking him and uh, jeering at him, he doesn't have that power, right? What happened? He wist not that the Lord had departed from him. So the Lord came on him when he needed the power, and the Lord left him when he didn't have the power. It was always the Lord's power. In the Old Testament, we find that uh, David is anointed by Samuel, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him from that day forward. And the very next verse says, and the Spirit departed from Saul. Saul had it and lost it. And that's the way the Lord worked and operated in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon men for temporary moments to accomplish very specific feats. They were always within the will of the Lord when they had the Holy Spirit. And they were always uh, being used of the Lord when they had the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, things have changed. Jesus said, if I go, uh, one greater than me cometh. Not greater in power or might or strength, but greater in the sense that we could all have him all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And that's not contingent upon obedience, by the way. The Spirit of God dwells in every Christian's heart. John chapter 14, verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you. So, Each and every believer in the church tonight has the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their heart. And that is the surest way 
to understand God's word and his will for our lives is by having the Holy Spirit lead us into it. And the surest way to rob God's word of its power is to utilize it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when this book no longer screams at us, when this book no longer tells us what we're not doing right, or leads us in the way that we should guide our family, when this book goes silent, chances are it's because we are not walking in the Spirit of God. Ezekiel had had been given the Spirit to understand this. So if you're going to be a missionary and understand God's call on your life, you must first of all be a person who is led by the Spirit. Number two, if you're going to be a missionary, you not only have to be a person who is led by the Spirit, you also have to be a person who overcomes fear. Notice verse number six of chapter two. The Bible says, And thou, son of man... By the way, Ezekiel is referred to as the Son of Man, I believe, over 30 times in the book of Ezekiel. And that speaks to his inability to perform it on his own. It speaks to the weakness of his humanity. Ezekiel, you're just a Son of Man. But if you'll allow me to help you, I'll get you through it. He says, But thou, O Son of Man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Why do you think the Lord had to tell Ezekiel not to be afraid? I'll tell you exactly why. Because Ezekiel had a propensity to be afraid. Did you know that he has to deliver almost an identical message to Jeremiah? The Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, I've known you uh, even before you were in the womb. I knew you and I've ordained you to be a prophet. And Jeremiah says, but oh Lord God, I am but a child. I'm not capable to carry out this mission that you've given me, Lord. It's bigger than me. And God says, Jeremiah, be not afraid of their faces. We read about these prophets in scripture and we think that they were above human weakness. We see a man like Isaiah who performs miracles and we see a man like Elijah uh, and we see a man who, uh, we see all these men in the Bible and we, we look at them like, oh man, they're on a pedestal that we can't attain. All of these men struggled with the same things that you and I struggle with. And God, for some reason, addresses all of their propensities to be afraid. You know why? Because every bold and effective witness for God must first overcome fear. I I know without a shadow of a doubt, when you go knock on a door, no matter how long you've been doing it, no matter how many doors you got, you know, behind you, there is always some level of intimidation. You know, we take our people with us to, we call them prayer partners because they're just, they're just there to be silent and support us, you know, and be accountable and all these things. But the reality is we kind of give this picture that, oh, well, one day you'll overcome this sphere and then you'll get to where I am. What we've done is we painted a false picture. I'm just as terrified as the guy standing next to me. I don't know if that guy's got a loaded shotgun or not. The reason that every effective missionary must overcome fear is because we are all in some way or another fearful. 
Brother Brian Cohn will be home in just a few weeks. I wonder if maybe he was a little afraid to pack up and get on that airplane. Maybe if the fear of the unknown shook him a little bit, kept him awake at night. Not knowing where he's going to live. Not knowing how the language acquisition was going to work. Not knowing the type of church or how the people would receive him. I wonder if those types of fears kept him up. Hey, I got good news for you. You don't have to worry about any of that. All you've got to worry about is overcoming the fear to be an effective missionary for the Lord. You must be a person who overcomes fear. I recently read a little story about a mom who looked at her little boy named Johnny, about five years old. And she said, Johnny, I need you to go to the pantry and I need you to go get a can of tomato soup. And Johnny said, Mom, it's dark in there. I don't want to go get a tomato, can of tomato soup. She said, Johnny, I'm not asking you. I'm busy. I'm trying to cook supper. I've got things going. I, I don't have time to go do it. Johnny, I need you to go down to the pantry. and I need you to get a can of tomato soup. Well, they argued there a little bit and kind of him hauled back and forth. And she said, Johnny, why are you so worried? Jesus is going to be down there with you. Well, Johnny walked down to the pantry, he opened up the door and saw how dark it was. And all those fears got excited in Johnny again. He, they kind of overcame him, he slammed the door. Walking back, dejected, going to have to tell his mom that he couldn't get the can of tomato soup that she sent him for, an idea came to Johnny. He looked back at that door and he said, Hey Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of tomato soup? What we've got to realize is no matter where God sends us, Jesus is already there. No matter what door we're called to knock on, no matter what person we're called to minister, Jesus is there with us. Problem is Johnny's a little bit better theologian than some of us are. And at least he had the faith to believe that Jesus was able to do the impossible. See, you've got to overcome fears if you're going to be an effective missionary. Every one of us struggle with it, but you must overcome it and be an obedient missionary to the Lord. If you're going to be a person that's called to missions, number one, you've got to be a person that's filled with the Spirit. Number two, you've got to be a person who overcomes fear. And number three, you have to be a person who believes in the power of God's Word. Chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, And when I looked... Behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within, without. And there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. This is the message, the word that Ezekiel is going to be called to deliver to the nation of Israel. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. Bible says in verse number 3, And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll and, and that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. Before God sends Ezekiel out with the message, he says, Ezekiel, you must first consume the message yourself. This message that Ezekiel is asked to eat is illustrative of how that the Word of God must first infect and affect the person who is to deliver the Word of God before it can ever affect those to whom the Word of God is to be delivered. The reason, by and large, most Christians are ineffective witnesses is because they are ineffective Bible students. 
The Word of God does not daily consume them. Therefore, it will not affect anybody that they're going to talk to today. We get so tangled up in things like March Madness and and what's going on in the world of politics. and, And man, we stay so much on our phone that we are consumed by everything else besides God's Word. And it is through God's Word that He reveals to us His will for our life. And so what we must do is we must consume God's Word. We must take in God's Word. That was his recommendation to Ezekiel. Hey, Ezekiel, you must consume it. Do you know he told Jeremiah the exact same thing in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9? Then the Lord put forth his hand to touch my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Christian, the reason so many of us are not talking about God is because we're not consuming God on a daily basis. He's there to be... uh, Job says it, I esteemed His words more than my necessary food. We're not prioritizing God's Word at all. And, And if we truly believe that the world needs to hear the message of the Gospel, we will actually believe that we can benefit from the Gospel. Our lack of Bible study is an indictment on our lack of faith that it is effective and quick and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword. I was reading a study the other day about cell phone statistics. Did you know that on average a person checks their phone every 12 minutes? A study was done in 2011 that said the average person uses their phone about 46 minutes a day. Six years later, in 2017, the same study was conducted to find that it had grown to three hours and eight minutes a day. We spent three hours and eight minutes of our day focused on a four by six screen. Look, I'm not here to make you feel bad. What I'm here today to show you is we are consumed by so many things, but we're not consumed by the right thing. An effective missionary will... Allow God's Word to permeate his life before he is able to allow God's Word to permeate anybody else's life. So we find as we study Scripture, the person who is called to be a missionary. Number two this evening in the last main point that we'll study, the priorities of a missionary. If you're going to be a missionary, you have to do those things. Those are just necessities so that you can be called to be a missionary. But here's what I found is very simple Here's, here's ought to be your priority as a missionary. Number one, find your calling. Very simple. Find your calling. The Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, Hey, Ezekiel, I have called you not to some foreign land, not to a, a nation of, of tongues that, you're not, that you don't know. I have called you to the house of Israel. I have studied this book cover to cover. I've preached now almost 700 sermons. I study it on a daily basis. I read it, I memorize it, I meditate on it. I have read, who knows how many commentaries, in addition, commenting and describing to me how this book it works and, and different cross-references and all sorts of things. I couldn't even begin to count how many times and how many hours I have in studying this book And I will tell you this, in all my time of studying it, I have never found a single person who desired to know God's will for their life 
and could not find it. Are you with me? In fact, I see quite the opposite. I see God almost kicking people down the right direction. I'll recall to your memory the story of Jonah. God prepared a great fish just to get him back in his will. And what we've done in in modern day Christianity, we have wrote so many books and so mystified this idea of finding God's will. Everybody's walking around like, well, you know, we're just praying about God's will. If you have to pray about it that long, chances are that's not God's will. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Surely you're not saying that I shouldn't pray about God's will. I'm saying that the person whose goal is to stay right with God, God puts in his will almost by default. One night, me and my dad were coon hunting. I had a dog there by the name of Plain Jane. My dad had given me this dog. You know, she was, a, a, she was one of those dogs that had a lot of character, but boy, she was ugly. Uh, and we, that's why we called her Plain Jane. That was her name. Boy, she's just an ugly dog. And, but man, she's a good one. This night, I'm probably eight years old or so. And, you know, we wear hunting boots that come up to our, our waist there. And that way we can cross water and all sorts of things. And, and uh, we had to cross this creek to get to where the coon was. And we finally got over there to where Plain Jane and some of my, other, my dad's other dogs that weren't quite as good as mine were. And, and uh, they were all barking and treeing. And, and we got over there and dad says, all right, we're going to shoot this coon out and reward the dogs. For those of you that aren't hunters, we're harvesting, the, humanely harvesting the coon. And uh, so I shot the coon out of the tree. For those of you that aren't hunters, I uh, euthanized it. And... Um, And so the coon falls out, man, the dogs go crazy, and we have a good night. Well, we're on our way back to the truck, and my dad's carrying the coon, and uh, I've got Plain Jane on the leash, and we get to the creek, and the the creek's rushing, but it's about knee high. It's nothing my boots can't handle. And uh, it was about that time my dad decided that, because my dad usually you know, uh, led more dogs than I did. He probably had two dogs on his leash. And so he said with the rushing water and the depth of the creek and the two dogs pulling on me, I'm just going to take this coon. I'm going to throw it on the opposite bank. And so, uh, I was in the water at that time and I'll never forget my dad threw the coon. And I guess in plain Jane's mind, she thought that a Lazarus coon had just occurred. (laughs) She thought in her mind, That booger's getting away. I didn't work all that hard. I didn't do all that work to just see that thing get away. So plain Jane decides that she's going to go where the coon went. Now, as I mentioned, I'm only eight years old, and I'm trying to fight the water's current, and I'm not really focused on much. Plain Jane wasn't a big dog, but man, when plain Jane decided to go somewhere, she took me with her. Man, I never forget dragging through that water. Like I said, it's only about knee high. It was like I was being pulled by a boat. I'm hydroplaning on the water. I got a rooster tail three foot high as plain Jane's trying to get to that dead coon over there on the bank. Get back to the truck, man. I got boots full of water. You know, in the same way that plain Jane decided where I was going to go, did, I, did you know that the Bible actually teaches that God leads his children just like that? The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
Now, for some reason, when I hear that verse, I don't think of somebody laying by their bedside at night praying, Lord, I just wish you would reveal yourself to me. Lord, open doors, close doors. No, the Bible says if you'll be good and you'll do the right thing and you'll obey the Lord, He will order you in the right direction. Did you know that Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23 says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 24 says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? What we've done is we've so mystified God's will. Here's what we need to do tonight. Hand God a blank sheet of paper and say, Lord, however you want to fill this in, that's what I'll do. And if we'll do that, you'll find you'll have no problem finding God's will for your life. Tonight as you go in that room, there'll be about 21 tables all around there. I think there's about two brand new ministries, all sorts of other ministries that need help, need volunteers. If you'll just walk in that room tonight and say, Lord, help me find my calling. Now, don't, don't go in there and say, yeah, but this doesn't really work for my schedule. Yeah, but this is a little bit more in the sun than I want to be. Yeah, but this doesn't really get all the glory I was kind of hoping to get. No, no, no. You just walk in there and say, God, help me find my calling. And I can say with, on the authority of the Word of God, God will put you exactly where you need to be. If you're going to be an effective missionary for the Lord, the easiest way is to, number one, find your calling. Number two, be faithful regardless of tangible results. Tonight, when I get to this point, I'm not necessarily speaking about the person who's just going to volunteer for a ministry. I'm speaking to the person who's been in ministry and is a little discouraged. I'm speaking to the bus captain that for some reason or another, not for lack of effort, because you're still visiting all the hours... You're still trying to get the new riders. You're still trying to have the program on the bus. You're still trying to be exciting and fun, but for some reason or another, your route's just not growing. I'm speaking to the Sunday school teacher who one after another, you've seen your Sunday school class slowly get smaller and smaller. Not for lack of effort. No, you've kept your hand to the plow. You've kept trying to do everything the right way, but you've seen it just diminish. I'm speaking to those folks. Because in this passage, the Lord tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I'm going to put you right in the dead center of my will. You're going to be faithful and you're going to obey my will for your life. Ezekiel, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. You're going to speak directly from me. I'm going to give you everything that you need. Ezekiel, this is where I need you to go. I need you to go to the house of Israel. I want you to see in chapter 3, verse 6, what he tells Ezekiel the result of that will be. It says, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou canst understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. Verse number 7. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee. The question might be asked, then why are you even sending me? 
If I've just got to go to go through the motions and I've got to go to speak the word, but you already know that they're not going to respond. You already know this. Why are you even putting me there? Couldn't it be better off? Wouldn't you be better off sending me somewhere else where maybe there would be a revival or maybe somewhere else where somebody would actually come and turn back to you? Why are you sending me to a place where you know I'm not going to see any tangible spiritual results? says, I've, uh, they're going to oppose you on every hand. In fact, he even refers to thorns and thistles and scorpions earlier. You know what that refers to? The rejection that Ezekiel would have to fight through. Quite similar to how the Lord told Saul on the road to Damascus. He says, Saul, Saul, it's hard to get for me to kick against the pricks. It's hard for me to deal with the struggle you're causing me. God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, every day you're going to go to work and you're going to be right in the center of my will. And yet it's going to feel like somebody has stuck a thorn in your side. You won't see much growth. Did you know the story was much the same for Jeremiah? Not much spiritual growth. And yet both these men stayed right in the center of God's will. So the question is, why would God put them there? Why would God put a Sunday school teacher in a class that just keeps graduating out the people they invest so much time in? Why would God put someone uh, over a disciple who just has trouble being faithful and, you know, you call them and you text them and you try to get them there, but they seem to just be rejecting you? Why would God put you over some ministry that doesn't seem to see much spiritual fruit? The answer is in chapter 2, verse number 5. I close on this. I don't think there needs to be much additional commentary. The Bible says, And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house. The Lord dealt with Israel more than anybody. He knew how rebellious they are, how much they had rejected Him. They would likely reject the prophet. Whether or not they respond to you is entirely up to them. It really doesn't bear any indication on whether you should be obedient or whether you should be faithful. Hey, Ezekiel, I'm going to call you to the house of Israel. They're going to reject you because they've rejected me. Hey, Ezekiel, I'm going to put you in a place where nobody's going to applaud you. Every day you're going to wake up and you have to go to work and you're going to have to think to yourself, man, I just don't want to do it. It's the scorpion underfoot. It's the thorn in your side. Ezekiel, you're going to struggle. It's going to be a fight. But why would God call Ezekiel there? Yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. You know the reason we serve regardless of results? Because people need a prophet. Bus kids need a bus driver. They need a captain that will love on them. People that come to Sunday school need to know that somebody is personally invested in their spiritual well-being. The, the widows in our church who don't have the means to always make the ends meet at the end of the month, they need to know that somebody's there and caring for them and somebody's interested in their well-being. Why do, why do we go through this? Why do we go to the ministries where we never get to stand on stage and we just always serve in the background? Because God needs prophets in every place. I don't know what God may be wanting you to do tonight, but He needs prophets. He needs people that regardless of whether or not they get the glory, regardless of whether or not they see results, regardless of whether or not they ever get an applause or a certificate saying, good job, 
God needs prophets. For how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they hear? And how shall the preacher preach unless they be sent? I believe God's still sending. Are you preaching? Preaching. 